Hi, everyone. This is Lamar Stanley, your host of the M&A Source Podcast. A quick note about today's episode. This episode is a repurposed recording of the audio from one of M&A Source's monthly webinars. These are invaluable webinars intended to both teach and familiarize M&A Source's membership base with the useful tools and member benefits provided to the members. We will on occasion provide these to the podcast listeners when we think the content provided suits this medium. If you like this episode, head on over to MA Sources website, masource.org. And if you're not a member, unfortunately, this content won't be available to you just yet, but you can join MA Source to view this webinar in addition to accessing many other membership benefits and resources. So, with that, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the MA Source Podcast, a podcast brought to you by MA Source, a nonprofit professional organization that provides training and education for small to mid sized business mergers and acquisitions intermediaries. In each episode of the podcast, we will interview leaders in the MA world to discuss education opportunities provided by MA Source, trends in MA markets, and useful insights provided by the experts that use them. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and good morning, everyone. Welcome to this month's m and Source Learning Webinar. My name is Kylene Golubsky, and I'm the Executive Director of the m and Source. Excited to bring you two, uh, two guests today, well, hosts and a guest, um, longtime supporters of the organization, friends of the organization. Before I turn things over to them, a couple housekeeping items. You have a control panel on your screen. You can click and drag that anywhere you like it. You can also completely minimize it by clicking on the arrow towards the upper left. There is a question section there, so do type your question in as you think of it, and we'll leave some time at the end to go through those. And yes, we are recording this. This will be up on the MA Source uh, member portal in your webinar recordings library. So without further ado, today we have with us uh, past chair Bob McCormick, who actually is on vacation. He's filling in for Lamar Stanley, um, hosting this webinar with us. Bob, we appreciate that so much. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I apologize for the dog barking there. I didn't even hear it, but that's fine. You're good. And then Rich Jones, uh, long, Rich Jones, a longtime friend of the organization with Zabel Companies, going to be out with us in San Diego. There's my San Diego plug, folks. Uh, Rich, it's so good to have you today. Oh, pleasure being here, and uh, yeah, appreciate, uh, Bob, you taking some time out from vacation to have this conversation. So I'm going to turn my camera off, and I'm going to let you two go for it, and I'll pop back on later. Great. Thank you, Kylene. Uh, Rich, I've known you for a long time, and uh, we certainly have got a chance to do a couple transactions together and talk deals and just uh, brainstorm together over the years and just You've been a great resource for me to pick up the phone and ask questions about PE and deal structuring itself. But um, I know your background, I know Zable, but uh, most of the world probably doesn't. So Rich, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about Zable. Yeah, no, happy to. And, and Bob, you noted this when, uh, when Lamar and I were kind of teasing through a topic to cover and, and landed on this topic, was really excited to kind of dig into this with you, just given some of our interactions to date. Um, but the, the, the quick background on myself, uh, and some of this will play into the, the conversation as we go, um, going all the way back to when I was a kid, uh, had a bit of a nomadic upbringing, uh, lived in seven different houses, five different states, uh, both sides of the country before I was uh, able to drive, actually. And so kind of found myself in positions where I was making friends fast and, and having to trust people quickly. Um, but grew up in and around uh, small privately held businesses. And, and so I've kind of stuck with that uh, into my career. Um, and uh, again, my dad got to a point where he owned a, owned a dealership actually. Um, and so kind of grew up in a, in a situation or environment where uh, we were part of the community. Uh, he was part of the community and, and business came home with him. Um, and then professionally uh, went to University of Virginia I did about a year and a half in New York City at a, a global consulting firm and then made my way down to Charlotte, uh, which is where I've been since 2002, 
worked for a couple of years for a small uh, investment bank, a startup investment bank, and then have been uh, partnering with lower middle market businesses since 2004. So I've been investing in and partnering with uh, smaller businesses, smaller privately held businesses for quite a while. Um, the quick background on Zabel, uh, my partner and I have been working together uh, since 2004. He's been investing in and partnering with lower middle market businesses since the late 90s. And so have a, a long track record uh, doing what we currently do. Uh, we've done uh, a number of different transactions in a number of different industries, but where we where we find ourselves getting most excited is identifying individuals or teams uh, that are looking for a partner um, with with kind of a patient approach to building businesses, and, and that's where we feel like we've been most successful to date. Um, so that's that's a quick background on myself, Bob, and and Zabel. Appreciate that, Rich. And I, you, and your partner Bill and I go back. I yeah, even further than we do, right? Time I started my company and the time you started your company. So it's been about 18 years I've known Bill. Yeah. And also has been a great, uh, great resource. Um, you know, just you've been in this business now 18, 19, 20 years when you count your investment banking. Uh, yep. Uh, what, what what keeps you in the business and what do you what do you enjoy the most about it? And and uh, and certainly got to see the roller coasters of the economy and, and uh, private equity over the years too. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think was initially drawn to it. Um, it's going to be cliche, but it was kind of a quote-unquote natural transition going from banking into the investing side, um, but very consciously was focused on this segment of the market. And, and I think that goes all the way back to just my upbringing, like working with smaller businesses, working directly with decision makers, and, and hopefully finding ourselves in positions where we can actually have a positive impact on them and not just function as a wallet. And so that's what initially attracted me to this, again, all the way back in 2004. Um, and in terms of why have I stuck with it, um, it it's funny, it reflect, and Bob, you know, colleague of mine, Brian Miskell, who, who actually talks about his parents and how each of them influence him personally. And, and I see a lot of that in me from both of my parents in terms of what I get excited about, what I do on a daily basis. And, and, and my mom, she'll talk to anybody, right? She, she's never met a stranger. And I have a little bit of that in me. And so love meeting new people, uh, learning about their background, their life stories, and, and really trying to build a relationship with individuals on an individual level. Uh, and then my dad, who is a little bit different than my mom, but very analytical, likes to understand things and kind of get under the hood of stuff and really figure out how things work. And, and so kind of in what we do, I get that opportunity on a very frequent basis. Uh, every day is a little bit of a different day. And I spend a lot of time trying to understand the people side of things, but then also the business side of things, how businesses operate. Um, and so kind of what we do on a daily basis kind of affords me that on a, a very regular basis. So that's why I've stuck with it. Uh, every day is a little different, but I always get to meet new people, which which is, is great. Yeah, and I, and I can attest that's, you know, as you're, as you're telling me that story, you're relaying that background. Last transaction, you really tried to get to know the owners. Yeah. And really you really dug deep on the analytical side, not necessarily with the owners, but with the operating uh, leaders. But it was a, uh, it, it was some great stories we got out of those, both both from you and from them as well, too. So, yeah. How long have you been a member of M and A Source? Uh, I went to my first conference at some point in the two thousands, and I've been pretty consistently going to those uh, since then. Um, I am going to San Diego. Don't always make it out to the West Coast shows, but uh, I am going to make it out out there for that show. I've, yeah, consistently since the mid to late two thousands, um, and at least one show a year since then. That's great. And yeah. and, and, uh, and I I do remember one of your your first sponsorships was actually in Charlotte. Yeah, uh, we moved the conference from DC to Charlotte, and you guys stepped up when we needed some support. In Charlotte, and we, as a board member, I appreciate you uh, you, you you doing that. Um, <laughs> uh, Funny story on that, Bob. We thought we had missed. We thought we missed the message or the memo. All, all of a sudden, I think you guys reached out to us, and we said, "How in the world did we not know that this was in Charlotte this year?" And then come to find out, it was a it was a somewhat late pivot. But yeah, no, that was that was a great opportunity for us. And I, I think our first transaction came from the Orlando conference. Uh, right before COVID, it closed, yep. but it was uh, it was again M and A source and connecting with you was uh, 
good good uh, good thing from our client there. Getting back to Zable though a little bit, uh, what do you look to invest in? And, and and maybe beyond that, Rich, you and I joked about this before. All us uh, investment bankers and intermediaries, I mean, advisors get these same emails every day. You probably get the same ones. We want two million dollars in EBITDA. We want recurring revenue, no customer concentrations. They all look the same, and the value proposition to us is often you all look the same. And yeah. but maybe I've gotten to know you, but share with the, uh, the listeners maybe why Zabel's different. Um, well, I, I'm I'm going to give probably the the same canned response that you and, and the listeners feel like they see uh, day in day out from an email perspective, but then I'll tie that back to to why we're such big believers in M&A source. Cause, cause again, I, I feel like from Zabel's perspective, uh, we find a lot of value in the conference in the interactions we're able to get from the conferences, but I'll, I'll circle back to that. Um, again, as we think about Zabel, uh, there are a lot of groups out there that look a lot like us and they're great groups. They're great investors. They're great partners. And so, right. It is, it is a big and, uh, competitive and crowded sea where, where a lot of people do look the same. I think where we feel like we are slightly differentiated, uh, and, and this goes back to some of the stuff, Bob, we touched on at, at the outset, right? We've been doing this for quite a while. And so we have a lot of experience, um, not only kind of working post-close, but working with the entrepreneurs, individuals that are making, in a lot of instances, probably one of the biggest decisions they've ever made in terms of who they're transitioning their business over to. And so we've got a lot of experience just going through those those situations. Um, it's something we're passionate about, uh, I believe, kind of from from the top. So Bill, my partner, down to our associates, we're very focused on being good, true partners. And so we show up every day with the, with the focus of being how can we help this company, these individuals that are leading this company, make their company a better company. But more importantly, take care of all their stakeholders. And, and that includes customers, vendors. It involves the communities that these companies operate in. And then I think the biggest thing, and, and you and I have talked about this on a number of different occasions, right? We take a very patient approach to our partnerships. And that's based on our experience, right? We look at these businesses and we say they're going to grow at the right pace for their business and the people that are leading those businesses and not necessarily kind of the traditional three to five year private equity time horizon. And so we approach it that way, but we've also structured ourselves to be supportive of that. So our capital enables us to do that. We, we never find ourselves in a position where we've got to grow, 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 just to make our equity do what our equity needs to do. And so we're big believers in kind of driving sustainable growth for the business. And if we succeed in doing that, will be successful from an equity standpoint, right? If the company grows at whatever that right pace is for the company, our equity will, will invariably grow behind it. Um, so I'll, I'll circle back. So again, it's hard to market that, right? There's a lot of folks out there that are great at what they do that look a lot like Zabel. I think one of the things that we love about M&A Source is it affords us the opportunity to have conversations with, with folks like you, Bob, have them get to know us, have them understand kind of how we approach situations with potential sellers. And at that point, right, it's incumbent upon the person in your shoes, right, the person who has that trust-based relationship with the seller to say, hey, I know a good group or a couple of good groups that are going to be a great partner for you and your business going forward. And, and right, they're trusting you to introduce them to people that are going to be good for their business. And, and at that point, right at the M&A source, we're enabled to kind of have those conversations and develop those relationships. Um, so it's a high touch game and, and the M&A source just affords us the opportunity to have those conversations and start building those relationships with the intermediaries out there. Yeah, Rich, I can appreciate the challenge of trying to explain that value proposition. Yeah. Differentiate yourself, but from experience, like I got to watch you on two deals during COVID. One where it was clear there was a COVID buy side temporary bump but what was it going to do long-term? Yeah, I'm trying to manage, and that was right at the beginning of COVID, and then another one where we still don't know, uh, quite frankly, but there was a lot of research done and a lot of working with the business owners and the, the key employees to understand those and really digging deep. Uh, and and it was a real, I think it was a positive experience for everybody. I think the business owners learned more about their businesses as well. Um, 
in, in that process. So it's hard to get that across, I think, in a value proposition other than maybe doing things like inter interacting with us intermediaries out there. Um, you know, part of, part of that, um, any, any suggestions as intermediaries to, to help you get to that point of building the trust with the intermediary one, but also with the business owners, uh, you know, you know, sometimes in the structured sale or auction process that puts up a barrier where it kind of ends up looking like it's just a purely price or, or net proceeds type analysis, but there's often value added that I experienced with was able that broke through that barrier, those barriers and, referring to those two, but also some that you didn't win. Those were good experiences for us with those clients too. And and, and I've had those feedback back as well too. I don't know if you have some thoughts there, Rich. No, and, and, and you touched on a, a couple of, I think really important points, Bob, right? And um, we pitch this to intermediaries every time I have an interaction with an intermediary, right? I'm gonna treat all my interactions as if Right, it's going to be the last interaction I have, and so I'm going to I'm going to approach it, um, try to be quick from a feedback standpoint, try to treat not only the the person in your shoes, but but the business owners or the people that are kind of running the day to day with respect, um, right? Because every interaction I have with a Bob McCormick or anybody else on your team, even if it's one of those businesses for whatever reason we couldn't get comfortable with X, Y, or Z. Right, that's still our opportunity to present ourselves to you as how we're going to behave and act as a potential buyer of your next client. Um, and so I guess one just piece of advice for, for any intermediary out there is, is take those opportunities for what they are, which is just right. It's, it's just an opportunity to interact with potential buyers of that next business. Right. This may not be the right one. Um, and, and you touched on this, right? You as a trusted advisor to your clients and, and, and the folks kind of within M&A source, right, they have a responsibility to manage a process. And, and so while everybody in my shoes wishes we were afforded all the opportunities to sit down across from the, the decision makers and get to know them, we do recognize that's not a, that's not a reality, right? That can't, that can't happen every time with every opportunity we get excited with. But as you build, right, and, and I believe we have this in our relationship, as you build your understanding of who I am and who Zabel is, it better informs you for when we could be the right potential partner for a deal. And we know we're not the only ones that are getting that call, but you go through the same process with the other groups out there that profile a lot like us. And then it comes down to you're just kind of managing the funnel, right, simplistically. And, and as you get closer to the right potential partners, then you're able to afford us more time with the the owners or the decision makers, and it kind of grows from there. Um, so I guess kind of to wrap that up, just approach every interaction as just a learning opportunity to see, right, what this potential group could be like as a buyer or a partner for not only this opportunity, but the next opportunity. Because um, no, nobody's in this for just one deal, for better or worse. No, that, and that's, you're, you're so right, Rich, I can, we're talking about in our in our in our company and with an and a attorney how quickly trust can be broken with 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 the PE community and how the likelihood they're going to see other deals could be diminished uh, and it's hard to earn that trust back. Maybe talk a little bit about where trust was strong, um, where you were involved in a relationship and maybe the, the why behind it and and maybe also the where it didn't go as well and maybe the why behind that too. Really, from a learning experience perspective, for us intermediaries. Yeah, um, and, and and I'm going to touch on a couple of opera. I guess one opportunity, Bob, you and I both know pretty intimately, and, and you referenced this earlier. I think it was the Orlando show. What was that May of '19, summer of '19? It was some some point, kind of middle of '19. Uh, got introduced to a great opportunity. Uh, I guess I can share it now openly, right? We've, we've since invested in the business. This company called Medical Packaging Inc. Um, really unique situation. Uh, an individual who was the sole owner of the business, uh, inherited the business, inherited his role as president and CEO of the business. Uh, actually, when his dad passed away suddenly and, and found himself thrust into a position that, that he would probably tell you he wasn't quite ready for. Uh, done a great job growing the business, had built 
the business as if it was his family. And so he had a ton of pretty strong emotions around kind of the company and where that company was going to go. Um, did a great job in engaging you guys to go help find that next partner. Um, but I think we first talked about that at the Orlando trade show. Um, and Andy took a very thoughtful approach with your guidance to trying to narrow down the list of potential partners that he could, he could kind of hand his baby off to, but it was a pretty big decision for him. And I think as you guys narrowed the list of groups um, that were interacting with Andy, right, you afforded us, and, and I think this was to Andy's benefit as well, a decent amount of time just interacting with him, right? I think we had gotten together two or three times. Uh, you and I had a dinner with Andy, and so it was just, right, it was a, a higher level of frequency and volume of interaction that was right for Andy as he was thinking about a partner, and that enabled us to start building the foundation of kind of a trust-based relationship. Um, and so kind of the, the how behind it was just spending the time talking about maybe some difficult things just to, to start kind of building out that framework for trust. Um, and then the benefits of that, and, and you touched on this, I think we finished our Q of E before the world shut down because of COVID and nobody knew what was happening. Right. Uh, but Andy and I, and, and you, right. We had the benefit of all that time we had logged to that point to at least be able to talk about it, right? We could we could lay out the facts. This is what we see. This is how we're going to operate. And, and Andy, these are the things we're uncertain of, but I'm going to tell you that so you, you, so you can know and kind of be prepared for it. Um, that one had a really interesting wrinkle where because of the transaction structure, we got bogged down because of the state of New Jersey and we couldn't find out when certain things were going to happen. And so there was a lot of trust both ways to know that both parties were committed to getting the deal done when we had a third party that we couldn't get a straight answer out of. Um, so there were a ton of just benefits from the time that had been invested to build the relationship. Um, so for me, that that's a perfect example, an extreme example because of COVID where because we had built the trust in our relationship, even at the outset, we were able to weather some pretty interesting storms to get to a, a closed deal, albeit longer than, than you and I had both hoped it would take to, to get, get it across the finish line. But um, ultimately got it done. So it, that's, that's a perfect example for me where kind of having the relationship or the foundation for that relationship at the outset just benefits everybody getting a deal done. Rich, I, I would agree. And, and we actually met, I don't know if you remember this, Tuesday or Wednesday for dinner right before the world shut down Yeah, uh, with, with Andy in New Jersey. And I think that was critical uh, later. But I think one of the things from, uh, and uh, maybe, maybe you don't didn't quite say this, Rich, but through that one and the other one, uh, there was a lot of transparency in how you were analyzing things. And the, the micro detail you went into that analysis was great, but it, but it also gave a lot of transparency when we wanted to do things, we collectively, being the buyer, seller, and us differently in that process, especially through that uh, issue with New Jersey being closed too. Yeah. Not being, environmental firms into due diligence and everything else. Everything was very transparent and upfront and open to the, the seller. So it, it was very clear there was nothing, you were not trying to hide anything. Uh, and it made it a lot easier for him to share everything. I mean, it was an open Komodo from Andy. And, uh, and, and what about where it didn't work so well? Um, maybe for our, our guys to learn. Yeah, um, and, and, and I have a couple of, examples i guess for better or worse bob you're not familiar with these right we we haven't had to cross these uh cross these bridges yet um similar time frame uh so this was q1 q2 2020 time frame i uh, got introduced to a business um call it mid single digits ebitda business owner was looking to retire um good company was definitely benefiting from covid uh, that's all relatively not important to kind of the broader the broader question you had asked. Um, and this goes back again to our approach, rightly or wrongly, we love to spend as much time as you'll afford us with, with business owners and kind of decision makers, right? Because at the end of the day, this all comes down to people making decisions about whether or not they trust the person sitting across the table from them is going to take care of their baby. Um, there were some extreme sensitivities, appropriately so, due to COVID. And so uh, we got introduced to this well after we got introduced to MedPAC. And so we weren't afforded that opportunity to meet face-to-face, -face, right? We couldn't go grab a dinner. 
couldn't have the conversations around the Q&A to start building that relationship, to start to get to know each other. Um, it was all done virtually, uh, telephone calls. And so it was, it was herky-jerky. It was two-dimensional, however you want to describe it. But it wasn't kind of where Zabel is accustomed to really kind of getting to know folks, right? Ultimately kind of making the decisions based on the people. And we weren't even, uh, we had a signed letter of intent. Um, but we weren't even getting into the negotiations kind of post LOI uh, on some of the nitty gritty stuff, employment terms or networking capital. And we got through our Q of E and we made our presentation on where we thought working capital targets should be set. And, and again, we believe that the ultimate cause of this was because we hadn't had the opportunity to build this relationship. Um, but the deal just died. It wasn't even a reaction to what we proposed. It was just, I can't handle this anymore. Um, all conjecture on our part, but we believe that the business owner just didn't feel like they had a relationship with Zable. Again, not because we had drawn a line in the sand, but couldn't even engage in a conversation to kind of work through what could have been a meaty topic. Um, and so in that situation, again, just don't feel like we had the opportunity. And, and we've done a lot of postmortems on this to see if we could have attacked it a different way to kind of build that relationship to get through kind of a sticky wicket or a tough issue. Um, so that's, that's the easiest example that I can give where it, where it hasn't kind of worked out in our favor. Um, another situation, um, completely unrelated to COVID, there was an individual owner, 100% uh, owner of a business. Uh, again, not, not something uh, that you were involved with, Bob, but that owner was very, um, I guess I'll, I'll use the word timid, didn't really want to interact with the buyer of her business. Um, and ultimately she just decided to just kind of step back and hold on the business. And that instance, as we've kind of gone through the post more to more belief is she just didn't have comfort in who was taking care of her baby, right. Going forward. Uh, and she ultimately just never transacted. Um, but I don't think she had a good comfort level of who was going to be taking over her legacy and kind of taking it forward. Uh, and, and it was just a situation where, where she didn't really want to engage with anybody. Not, it wasn't a Zabel issue. She wasn't talking to any, any buyers of her business. She was very reliant on the intermediary to kind of take it from her, take it for her. Yes, yeah, so Rich, from a learning perspective from, from, from us intermediaries, the quote, the, we, we should be very transparent with our client that if they're going to be working with Zabel or actually any private equity firm, yeah. uh, that you're going to be able to do a ton of due diligence, much of that due diligence. You, in your case, you do a fair amount of due diligence before you issue your letter of intent. Mm -hmm. And I think you do that intentionally so you don't end up repricing deals uh, and making, you know, walking away from deals after a letter of intent. Your intent is to close, subject to confirmations. And I think the second piece is, is developing those non-financial relationships early on in these processes, too, whether it's at dinner or just uh, the plant tour, those social type events, and just getting to know the individuals as, as people and, uh, and letting them get to know you as people uh, as well. Yeah, then that would be my, my biggest point would be that last point. And, and Bob, I think you do a great job with this. And, and I've seen this firsthand where you may have business owners that second guess their ability to understand the technical aspects of buying or selling a deal. Right. And that's where I look at kind of the role that you guys play uh, and the value that you bring to both buyers and sellers. Right. You are trying to accommodate the beginnings of a new relationship in a very structured manner, in a very quick time frame, and both buyer and seller can find themselves kind of in uncomfortable situations pretty quickly, right? We try to stay away from digging in numbers really quickly because we recognize that that puts people back on their heels. And that's by, that's by design, right? We want to meet them where they want to be met, not where maybe we want to go dig first. And so uh, I think you and your team do a great job kind of letting your clients know, hey, let's talk about what matters to you guys with a group like Zable as it relates to what they want to have happen with their business. And we'll manage the aspects that maybe you're a little bit less comfortable with on behalf of you with a Zable. Um, and kind of the fluidity with which you approach that, I think, does your clients an immeasurable amount of just benefit because you're, you're making them comfortable interacting with a group they've never met before. Right. Um, and so creating that space to have those interactions, but then also structuring it in a manner 
where the sellers of the business are comfortable, are most comfortable, right? We'll get to the point where we're asking the questions that we need to get answered, but let's try to meet those business owners in a, in a zone of comfort for them kind of out of the gate so that, so that be it Zabel or anybody else, they're comfortable with that interaction. That's, that's, that's fair, Rich. Yeah. So I, I met Bill way back in 2005. Maybe talk a little bit about how Zabel's evolved since, since 2005. Yeah, let's see. So, so Zabel and Name has been around since 2011. Uh, Bill and I were were doing this together under a different banner from 2003, 2004 timeframe until then, uh, all the way up until 2018. We were a really small shop. Uh, it was Bill, myself, and a junior resource. Uh, we were successful in in finding one new partnership to engage in a year. Um, and had and have had a good track record doing that. Uh, we both kind of looked up, call it 2016, 17 timeframe, and both fortunately agreed we liked doing what we were doing, uh, but we wanted to grow it a little bit, grow the effort a little bit. And so over the last handful of years, we've expanded to, we're now up to eight employees, uh, likely growing to nine employees, 10 employees over the next year, um, with a goal of investing in a couple of businesses a year as opposed to just one but with a very similar mindset, right? Very patient approach to business building. Um, and so we've grown in numbers, um, but we focus on the exact same types of businesses that we've focused on over our entire careers, which is privately held, typically family-run businesses. Um, I think we've gotten a little bit smarter on where we should be spending our time and where we shouldn't be spending our time. And so while we still take a pretty broad approach to the types of businesses we look at from an industry standpoint, we've narrowed that scope a little bit. And so we focus on niche manufacturing, business services, uh, and then kind of call it value-added distribution, higher margin distribution, wh whatever you want to call it. But we focus on those three silos. And then we really do focus on kind of the, the deal dynamic. And so we look for a situation, and you and I have had a couple of these opportunities. It doesn't have to be the owner but it has to be some core leadership, could be an individual, could be a couple of individuals and in organization that we look at. Mike Bush is a perfect example, guy running uh, Stan's Performance Products of Bike Business uh, that we just worked through kind of the, earlier this year. Somebody we got really excited about partnering with and kind of working hard together to grow the business and preserve the legacy of the prior owners going forward. And so we look for that situation. We do not come into situations thinking we're going to be able to go hire a brand new team and run the business in a new direction. Uh, we look for people that we can partner with. Um, and then we also, I think, have gotten a little sharper on where we maybe shouldn't be spending our time. Uh, Bill and I used to spend a lot of time trying to recruit CFOs on our own if we were needing to add somebody there and, and realize that that was probably a bad use of our time. There were better people served to do that. And so, uh, I think we've done a good job identifying a handful of select partners that we can work with within our portfolio companies. That's good, Rich. Yeah, and from a legal perspective, you got a good partner there too. We've been we, on our end, we've been pleased with the quality and, and communication, and if that's there as well too. What's your what 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 is your favorite? You know, whether it's private equity or just a, to the job in general, working with the company, the portfolio companies. What's your favorite part of your 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 that you do at Zable? It's a great question. Um, I like the people side of it. Um, we're going through this right now. It stands performance products. And, and I know you're uh, aware of this from the first time we met the leadership, kind of Mike Bush there. Um, he was an individual that kind of raised his hand and said, hey, I'm looking for a partner that can help me build out my organization. I know I need to add some people. Um, that is tough, longer-term work that has really good potential to drive long-term value. And so, again, it gets back to just spending a lot of time with the team, understanding the personalities at play, understanding the skills that, that kind of that are showing up on a daily basis and where there may be some voids, um, and then working hand-in-hand -hand with, a, with a guy like Mike Bush to identify where there's potential need and then trying to go find those people and getting people excited about what we got excited about in the business, um, right? And, and effectively at that point, we're selling our thesis to a potential new senior leader in that organization. Um, so just really digging in with senior leadership and, and helping them think creatively about kind of their team and how they grow their team to, to support the business. Um, it's where we have, it's where I have a lot of fun. 
Um, but it's kind of that day-to-day interactions with folks. Rich, and back to differentiating yourself, you know, I, I teach in an MBA program and there's a perception about private equity. We even joked about that with, with during stands, I think, with the owners with you. Um, but people perceive it financial engineering. You're going to turn the receivables in, you know, 30 days versus 34 days. And you're going to make your money that way or, or improve the margins for the, but one of the things you do do, Rich, is you guys really do focus on building the team. I saw it not just what you're trying to do with stands, but with, uh, with MedPAC, and I think there's others certainly in your industry that do that well, but it's a misconception that you're just in there as a financial engineer, but you're really trying to build value for the uh, stakeholders in, in, in this process. Um, coming up towards the end of our time here, but you know, I got to know you a little bit rich myself, but um, you do a lot of different things for fun, uh, and certainly with your, uh, with, you got a bunch of kids you're chasing around as well too, but maybe touch a little bit about yourself personally on the family side and, and maybe what you do for fun and then we'll, we'll in the meantime people can open it up for questions yeah and want to loop back to what you just finished with kind of on the the business front first and then i'll, I'll kick to the personal side it, right you touched on at least for me personally why i stayed in this marketplace and and again there are a lot of great firms out there that that invest in and partner in these size these size businesses these types of ownership dynamics and at the end of the day right it's not the numbers it's not the financial engineering it's it's kind of working in tandem with whoever the leaders are of those organizations and focusing on growing them the right way uh, and again zable doesn't have monopoly on that there's a lot of great firms that are out there that do that but that is how we try to show up every day is, is let's make the right decision today for the long-term outcome and so long as we keep doing that day after day after day right the company's going to be in a better place the individuals that are in that company are going to be in a better place and then we'll be successful. Um, yeah, so personally, and Bob, you, you know this, um, you know a lot of this through some COVID phone calls when I was working out of my bedroom. Uh, I've got four kids, they're not so young anymore. I've got a, a freshman in high school, a uh, daughter who is an aspiring actress. Uh, she's actually getting ready to try out for, actually no, she just auditioned yesterday and today uh, for Matilda. She goes to the local public art school. Uh, I've got a, a seventh grade son, um, I've got a uh, fourth grade nine-year-old son. Two of them are thick as thieves. Uh, do a pretty good job beating each other up. Hopefully not too well. And then I've got a a seven-year-old daughter who uh, keeps us all in line and probably thinks she runs the runs the, the joint. She uh, she bosses everybody around a little bit uh, here and there. Um, and so when I'm not chasing them around or helping helping shuttle them around, uh, we try to get outside. Love winter sports, although. Being stuck in North Carolina doesn't make it too easy, but we try to get up to the mountains here to get out in the snow when we can, um, do some hike and do some camping. Um, but yeah, just spending time with them. I'm fortunate enough, my family is all within a five hour drive of here. So spending time with extended family as well. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, we talked throughout COVID over the, and pre-COVID, but mostly during COVID, how important family was. And I know, Rich, that's the, you, you took time to, spend time during due diligence with, with family, go camping trips and yeah, shuttle between multiple sports events and those type things. And, and uh, it was great. You were able, able to do that. Um, I guess, lastly, any, anything you would recommend the listeners or watchers of this uh, podcast, particularly in areas uh, and, and uh, M&A advisors, that they th- should think about when it comes to Zable um, that they should, yeah, and, and and we hit on this earlier. Again, there's a lot of groups out there that do great work, uh, profile a lot like Sable. And so, again, don't feel like we have kind of this pigeonhole or this corner where we're the only ones doing this. But in situations where you've got a business owner or business owners uh, that are either looking to stick around and identify somebody that's going to help them kind of grow their business for the long term, or it could be a situation where they're looking to exit, but they feel like they've got a good core of folks beneath them and they want to make sure that they set those folks up to succeed kind of into the future. Um, and there's a benefit to having somebody that can maybe be a little bit more patient, uh, focus on driving that long-term growth. Um, would love to just have an opportunity to kind of present ourselves, prevent our, present our experience and kind of how we approach things. Um, you touched on this briefly. We're not. Um, 
the benefit of our patient approach is we're not focused on kind of what does the next quarter look like or what does the next year look like? What we're focused on is how do we get this business in a position to be successful in the long term? And that could be us driving down earnings over a couple of years because we know we need to go build out a new product line or go hire a couple of people because it's the right long-term decision. So in situations where, again, the team or the owners are going to benefit from that. And again, you guys, right, the intermediaries have a really unique lens into what is important to the sellers of these businesses. Um, those are the calls we love to get and in, in the interactions we love to have with, with business owners. You know, I think a lesson learned there, Rich, and, and there's been certainly members of m and Source that have used this term, go ugly early. But I'm not necessarily saying it's an ugly issue, but it's being upfront with you. Yeah. Knowing that you're a long-term owner, you know, I think of the, the medical packaging thing. We were concerned about over-ordering over during COVID. And, you know, they sell to hospitals and healthcare facilities, and it looked like there was multiple orders or double orders. And it wasn't you were running away. It was you wanted to understand. And then, likewise, the business owner wanted to understand. And working together, that, that went a long way. And we saw that with the other one as well, too. And, Investing for the long term, everybody says that, but it's nice to actually see you, you, you in action doing that, that as well. Um, I think I think we kind of came up to our time limit here, Rich. But uh, uh, appreciate you taking the time. I don't see any questions, at least coming across my screen. Kylie, do you have any? Hi, gentlemen. Great conversation. It was like the two year was just chatting, and we were all getting to to listen in. We did have a couple questions come through on the questions pane. Um, if you guys have a few minutes to take these, one great question: How should an advisor successfully interact with you at the upcoming deal market in the San Diego conference? That is a a great question. Uh, I'm going to be out there with a colleague of mine, uh, Tanner Williams, and so the two of us will be out there for a. a a couple of days, um, we'll be manning the deal market booth. Uh, I think both Monday and Tuesday, or Tuesday and Wednesday. I may be getting my dates backwards, Colleen. Um, but yeah, we just love uh, you to swing by then if if you've got something you'd like to talk about or better understand kind of who Zabel is. Uh, happy to set some time up in advance, and so feel free to email me, and we can we can find a time to connect while we're both in San Diego. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully be very available and present. And so uh, you can find us, but again, also happy to schedule something in advance as well while we're out there. And can you give any other um, examples of where the intermediary kind of, kind of, kind of dropped the ball, you know, examples that we can learn from the, the intermediary, the advisor can, can learn from. You know, I would paraphrase this question as, what do you, what do you wish all advisors knew? Huh. Um, it's a very big question. Uh, Bob just touched on one of those aspects, right? And again, Zabel and every other good investor out there takes the same approach, right? We're going to get to the quote unquote ugly. <laughs> and so it's just easier to put stuff on the table and have a good open conversation. Obviously, those conversations go better if there's a relationship that's been built kind of to date. Um, it's funny, kind of stepping back and thinking about this conversation with you today, Bob, I was trying to draw some corollaries to, to things that I see in my life. And, and so, right, I've got four kids. Uh, they go to three different schools. Two of those schools are magnets. And so they're not neighborhood schools here in Charlotte. And so we don't have the benefit of proximity with two of my kids and their friend groups. And so find myself in a lot of situations, driving them to neighborhoods that are not close to where I am and dropping them off at parents' houses that I don't know them. And my comfort level in those situations relative to the kid who lives down the street, whose parents, maybe I don't know well, but I see every week, every weekend, right? I've got a different level of trust with those people that I've just interacted with. And so, right, enabling both buyer and seller to trust each other and then put in the tough issues on the table as soon as they kind of become known, it just enables partners to kind of work through those issues as opposed to kind of restricting communication, restricting relationship building, and then kicking those issues down the road. Um, that becomes a pretty tough hill to climb. Um, so I, I'd say that's a, that's a big one. Um, my two others that I always kind of raise, and, and again, I think, most of the folks that I know from M&A source are great from an intermediary standpoint. 
and, and Bob and I have talked about this on, on a number of different occasions, encouraging sellers to work with, I'll call it smart, experienced advisors from a legal standpoint, right? That's gonna, that's gonna benefit sellers in spades, right? Sometimes they know a lawyer that they trust really well, but that lawyer may not be a deal lawyer. They're gonna benefit from finding a good deal lawyer that they trust just because they're gonna be able to help shepherd them through the process and be a good advisor for them. Um, and then the last thing is just encouraging sellers to ask questions, right? Um, help them get comfortable with digging in on who the potential buyers of their businesses are. Cause at the end of the day, they've got to get comfortable with handing that business over to a new set of hands and they've got to be pretty comfortable with that. It's a big decision. Um, yeah. So th th those would be the handful of things that I'd mention. Uh, I've got a big one for you here. All uh, right. Somebody apparently wants to know like what, what you have in your crystal ball. What, do you see ahead for 2023? Um, that is a big one. I don't know. I've been I've been quietly waiting for I'll call it the other shoe to drop for a while. Um, we're seeing this within our portfolio. Uh, for better or worse, our portfolio companies on paper are all doing very well. Uh, right, demand is up. People are buying their products and their services, and so on paper. Things look like they're going really well. Uh, the fires that they are fighting on a daily basis are things that they may be dealt with once a year. And, and it's the same thing that everybody's seeing and talking about. It's supply chain issues in terms of getting products and material. It's labor challenges, um, right? Those issues are pervasive and they're constant. And so I've got some concern about just burnout factor. I've got teams that are working their tails off and we see kind of great performance on a paper basis, um, but there's some fatigue there. Um, my, my hope is uh, we're able to kind of move through this period that we're in right now from an inflationary standpoint, from a rate increase standpoint, and kind of, right, there's a lot of still good, strong consumer demand out there, and so that we get through it and, uh, and that we call it have a soft landing or don't have too much of a uh, kind of bump in the road. But I, I do have on a personal front, just some worry from some kind of burnout and some fatigue for, for the teams out there that are kind of running the businesses. Um, just been, it's been a long time of dealing with pretty unique challenges. I've got a follow-up question come into that. Do you foresee Zable changing anything about what you're gonna be looking for? No, the, the benefit of our patient approach and kind of our long-term orientation, right? We look for good people, good business positions within attractive industries. And so having that longer term lens, we don't look at what the next year to two to three years look like. The, the bike business is a perfect example. Um, so bicycle related businesses had a great two years through the early days of COVID. There's some really unique things going on right now in that industry where a lot of industry or a lot of industry participants are having a very tough year. Uh, at the end of the day, kind of working with Bob and, and the sellers of that business, we landed in a place where all parties felt like they were kind of excited about where the transaction was happening. That company's having a tough year, candidly, but I think everybody anticipated that. And we're kind of looking forward and saying, yeah, but the cycling industry is a great industry and it's going to kind of get back to the, the positive growth trajectory at some point in the, the pretty near future. Um, so it, nothing's changed on our end. Uh, we're low leverage guys to begin with, given that longer term nature. And so we're not concerned about kind of rate increases or a step back from a demand standpoint, putting pressure on a business from a leverage standpoint. Um, so our, our patient approach enables us to, to kind of keep, keep on thinking the way we've always been thinking. Well, gentlemen, those are all the questions that I see that have come in. I want to thank you both again for spending time with our audience today. As a reminder, this will be up on the Member Resource Center in the webinar library um, of all of our recordings that we do. I'm going to turn it over to you guys for any closing comments today. I really don't have uh, anything. I think we're going to touch on something there towards the end. We're all intermediaries are eager to get the highest multiple. Sometimes that requires over levering companies, but we have a, a duty to our client to do what's best for them long-term. And they, most of our clients are stakeholder focused or they care about their employees or communities. You over lever a company prior to a downturn 
as Rich knows, you're gonna have to do some things that aren't pleasant. So our, our client, last client we just closed and the one before that with Rich was, that was appealing also, uh, the low lever approach they take in levering the cash flow and the assets of the company. So um, gotta keep that in mind when we're talking about uh, deal structures too. And Rich, you're, leave it to you. Yeah, no, just appreciate you guys, Kylene, setting this up. Um, I mentioned this, right? When, uh, when kind of landed on this topic, uh, Bob was super excited to have the conversation with you, just given that we've had some real life experience kind of leaning into, I'll call it testing, uh, testing the strengths of relationships and some pretty unique experiences. Um, but yeah, no, uh, look forward to getting out to San Diego, meeting some new folks and, and seeing some old friends. And, and again, uh, part of the reason that we participate in M&A Source is because there's people that are dedicated to, to finding folks like us. And again, not just Able. There's lots of great private equity groups out there and finding the right solution for their clients. Uh, M&A Source enables us to do that. So appreciate the time. Uh, appreciate it, Bob, taking some time off from vacation. Colleen, what, just one plug for San Diego. We got some great classes coming up and, and some of the tax in deeper corporate finance type classes coming up and workshops. Uh, it's gonna be more meaty and, and even for private equity rich, there's some some uh, pretty quality, um, you know, if you think about the QSUB and F reorgs. Yeah. Seems we've had, um, it's, you know, a lot of people have never seen it before, but we get some great, great instructors coming up on that. I'll, I'll have to touch base with you on that offline. I'm, I'm planning on being out there for the entire show and would love to, to swing by a class or two and, and learn something new and get sharper on something. I'm probably not as sharp as I, I should be. Great. Yeah. Bob, I love the shameless conference plug on the courses. It's you're absolutely right. There are some really great high level courses, new courses out there that if you have not checked out the website yet, which is uh, masconference.org, uh, do so. We do cap those courses at 50 students each, um, just to have a good student-teacher ratio. So, um, yeah, and then we will see everybody out there for more conversations and relationship building, the topic that we had today. Thank you both again, and I hope everyone enjoys the rest of the day. Take care. Thank you guys. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for the MA Source Podcast. If you would like to learn more about M&A Source or would like to join, please visit M&A Source's website, www.masource.org, where you can find a wealth of information to include information about M&A Source's biannual conferences. Thanks again for joining, and if you enjoyed the show, we hope that you'll go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of the M&A Source Podcast.